Hey everyone, and welcome back to the Rootless Living Podcast in episode number 72. My name is Damien Ross, and I'm the host of this podcast. I'm also the publisher of the Rootless Living Magazine, and I've been a full-time digital nomad since 2017. If you haven't already, head over to rootlessliving.com and grab a free digital subscription and start reading the only magazine that is covering what it's like to have a life that is full of travel while you're still working, aka being a digital nomad. So on this episode, I chat with Robin and we get the inside scoop about what it's like being a family of seven living in an RV. But like always, before I say too much, let's get into the episode. All right, with that, I want to welcome Robin to the show. How are you, Robin? I am great. Thanks for having me. Hey, thanks for hanging out with me. And um, I know that we, like on any show, there can be technical difficulties. I'm in a in a weird kind of internet area. Plus, it's like 95 out. I had to turn the AC off in order to record, which... This is going to become a hot box really quick, but uh, we're, we're going to pull through this and, and do this. Now, Robin, what would you consider yourself, a sometimer, part-timer, full-timer? Ooh, unfortunately, it makes me so sad that I am a part-timer right now because we are, we rented this house last winter in um, Polson, Montana, you know, kind of just to to wait out. Normally we winter in San Diego and we are going to winter in South Dakota. And a lot of people scared me like, you can't winter in South Dakota. And then my uncle had this amazing house come available. And so like, well, we'll just winter in, in Montana in a house. It'll be fine, but it wasn't fine. And so we've pretty much spent, I don't know, maybe, we're lucky if we're actually in this house 10 days a month. So we're, we're still in our RVs as much as possible, but we do come back to like restock and, and rest for a few days in between road trips, a constant road trips. It seems like, yeah, I don't feel like I hear a lot of people saying we're going to winter in Montana. <laughs> like that's not the, the that's, it, no, it's usually no. the opposite, right? They're getting out of Montana for the winter. Well, and ironically, we ended up wintering really in St. George, Utah. Most of the time we ended up spending like seven weeks there, but we would come back to ski in Montana. So I got to say, like I complain and I'm really not complaining because I kind of live the best of both worlds. And, and I'm trying to like really embrace that because I'm, uh, it's just, it's so uh, different. It's most people don't, you know, you're either like into a house or into an RV. You don't like float between the two nonstop. So right, right, that's right. where we're at. Definitely. No, I mean, even me starting with the joke of it being 95, like, woe is me. That's my problem. I have to turn <laughs> yeah, it. I was really off. jealous when you said 95, because I hate the cold and <laughs> it's, uh, it's cold again today in Montana. I think the idea is to chase 70. I just have not done a good job of it. It's either 50 or 90. Like I, I'm like 20 degrees off all the time lately, it seems like. but we'll get Really? Yeah. I totally chase 70. And I got to tell you, even because we we're going to go climb intensely today, but we, we have this meeting and I didn't want to change it again. And I looked on my phone this morning. I'm like, ooh, Tensley, Wyoming is going to be like high 70s, maybe low 80s. I might just finish this recording and say, hey, kids, let's hop in the RV and we'll go climb for tomorrow just to be in 70 or 80 degree weather because yes that's the dream no doubt so how long has this been going on for you guys when did kind of uh, you and the family because you got a you got a good sized family too when did the idea of going and having an rv start for you it um 
hopefully you're not breaking up or I'm not breaking up on your end. You were a little bit on my end. Um, so it started in 2015. Um, we had at the time, my youngest was three or four and my oldest was 14 and we were already camping in our RVs a lot and this house we were renting on the beach. I mean, it was like living the dream lifestyle. They wanted their house back. And so I said to my husband, do you think we could just live in our RV for the summer and we could take a few long road trips and we'll save so much money. And he's like, sure, dear, whatever you want. I don't really care. And at the end of the summer, he's just like, you are so happy. We should keep doing this. Yeah, it was, it's it's happy wife, happy life, right? So very smart of him. Absolutely, <laughs> that's definitely the secret. But so, so yeah, we had five kids at the. I mean, we still have five kids. They're they're still all with us. Oh. The problem is, is we've made our life so fun. They don't want to leave, which I, is not really a problem either. I love it, but yeah, they're all RVing with us. Yeah, you got to find it's it's a good mix of where they still love you, but they don't want to live with you after like you know twenty. Like that's the hard that's the hard thing to find. I mean, I I got lucky. I guess I was the hard one to live with because after living with dad and only dad for you know the majority of their life until they turned eighteen, they were ready to go. They had enough of dad. They were like, we got to go. Um, so take me back five years. Like, how much have you guys been traveling? How much are you living in the RV? And you know, just give me kind of a, a you know, let people know what you've been doing for the last five yeah. years. So in uh, 2015, we stayed in the RV, and by that end of that year, um, we we kind of we were pretty much home basing in San Diego. We had a business there. It was I feel like we were like softly into RV living. We really didn't have this grand scheme of what it evolved to. And then by 2016, we started road tripping. Um, was 2016 the year? Yeah, 2016, we decided to go to Europe. And so we went in June with just backpacks, went to Europe, tent camped in Norway, Ireland, Germany. And then we got an RV and we just, I don't know, probably covered about 10,000 miles from UK to Croatia to the bottom of Portugal, high pace, like moving places every day. I wanted to cram in as many things as we, we could. And all of our travel is adventure based. So like when we flew to Europe, we had a surfboard bag and rock climbing gear. And it was just either from the waves to the crag to the trail. But we also had a four year old or maybe she was about to turn five at the end of that trip with us. So it, it definitely presented some uh, stress on our relationship. Um, we t on my own podcast, I talk a lot about it. It was hard for my husband. It was really, um, like, yeah, happy wife, happy life. But at the same time, like when you wake up every morning, you're like really anxious about new situations. It made it, made it a little complicated. But after that, we came back to 2017, we came back to the U S and back to the business and kind of just stayed on U S territory for the most part, the years kind of blend together. And then we did it. Oh no, that year we went another trip back to Europe for about two months. And then we did Bali one the next year for about a month, lots of trips to Hawaii to serve New Zealand uh, for a month. So we kind of just bounced between it's like we'd be stationary for a segment of the year with our business. Then we take the RV around the U S road trip. Then we'd go abroad for a few months, a couple trips to Costa Rica. It's, it's, there's no rhyme or reason. It's just chasing, chasing the adventure, some, some sport, some, some way to like, you know, physically get into nature. 
Yeah, when I first heard, you know, chasing the sports, I was almost thinking like, are the kids participating in a sport? But it just sounds like you mean more of the kind of adventure sports that you can do wherever you yeah. are. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's uh, funny because when before 2015, I was totally the soccer mom. Like my, uh, and mostly for one of my kids of the five, I had one that was very driven, very competitive. We'd go from competitive soccer games to competitive gymnastics meets on the same weekend. And I think that's what started the whole thought process is uh, we do that. And then some weekends we'd have no sports and we'd go camp. And I was just kind of cluing into like, I am so much happier. I'm a better person. I'm a better mom when I don't have this constant. I have to be here at this time for this game and and just the intensity that the sports were bringing. So it was just queuing in on like, wow, I'm, I'm a better person if I'm traveling in my RV and if I'm my kids are happier too. And so we, um, we kind of broke away from that when we started living in our RV and then simultaneously it just happened that I started surfing. And then that same daughter that, um, was competitive, she started surfing when she was 12. So it was like the first, uh, no, it was actually, I'm sorry. It was before we lived in our RV, when we lived on the beach, she started surfing with me every day. So it became easy that she was the driving force instead of me self-sacrificing to be at her soccer game it became like hey where in the world do you want to go surf next month and so we we re we kind of redefined that role in our family and and just everybody else in our family was kind of on board like yeah sure you guys go surf we'll hang out at the beach sounds good to me yeah, I mean, I feel like, you know, I mean, I, I'll, I'll use the term I'm penciling a book. And one of the chapters is in, in and around youth sports and how I think it's, I think it's actually a time waster. I know that sounds terrible. And I know parents are listening saying, what are you talking about? I mean, sports are so important. They teach, they are to a certain level. And then we get just, you know, with AAU and year round, because what you said was when we had the few weekends where there wasn't something yeah. going on we would go do something as a family. There are some families that never have a weekend off. I mean, they're doing tournaments over 4th of July now and Memorial Day weekend. And it's insane to the point where the family is really like, ends up like seventh in a list of, and then if you have multiple kids, multiple sports, it's impossible for a parent. You know, I mean, it's just, it, it it's one of those things where I'm, I look back and I, I not regret, but especially with him not playing anymore, um, I'm like, yeah, maybe we should have just done more things as a family and less basketball, you know? And it's crazy to say that it's the easy way out, but in a lot of ways, it's the easy way out that as a parent, you're just, you, the alternative means that there's a lot of pressure on you to be that person, to be that entertainment that the friends would provide on your soccer team or you know, to provide that challenge, to provide that um, it, it's just, sometimes it's easier as parents to just be like, well, I'm going to schedule in this, this, um, soccer tournament on the calendar and I dread it, but, but, uh, we're, we live in this mentality of being told what to do mm. and that we accept that. And for me, I know I just really quickly said, no, I'm, it's just my personality that I'm always going to question everything. And I just remember sitting there thinking, you know what, you're not going to keep telling me what I'm going to do for, for this weekend and next weekend. And, and then it did take a lot of inner strength to, to, to look at my kids and go, how can I give more to them? How can I fulfill them in this other way? And I think a lot of parents are just, they're tired. They're, you know, life beats you down and you get to a point that you don't have that space in your life to, 
to think like, shoot, you want me to be more to my kids than I already am. I already feel like I'm giving so much. Right. I will say that, you know, out of my four kids, I had one that played no sports. I had one that played a little like, you know, up until junior high, one that played high school, and then one that was like, you know, AAU, 11 months of the year, went to college. All four are just as happy and well-adjusted as the other. You know what I mean? So it's like one of those things where I want parents that are like, no, you have to do this. You don't. But what I like and what I see too is because you were homeschooling, which I was like really anti-homeschool before going full-time RVing, um, I'm just obviously have learned a lot about kind of homeschooling and, and especially road schooling and stuff, but you also owned your own business too. So two of the biggest obstacles for a family to go kind of remote and nomad is one is if you have kids, you know, there has to be some sort of homeschooling going on or two, you know, you have to have your own business and you guys already had that lined up. So the transition was a little easier, but there are these things that anchor us back to these communities like sports like family that make it difficult to make this leap. But it sounds like you guys have done an amazing job of it. The kids experiences. I'm jealous listening to it. I really (laughs) jealous of someone's kind of lifestyle. And this is amazing. You know, it comes back to how you said all four of your kids were successful in, um, in their own way. We're huge proponents of like understanding your child's Enneagram or their um, like their personality typing. I've used that for homeschooling a lot along the way. And even, so that's why I only have one kid who surfed with me or um, I had another kid who, he was a great runner and we traveled so that he could run races, but he's super introverted, would rather just have his alone time. And so same thing with homeschooling is every kid has been homeschooled different. And I've kind of uh, weaved this path and then the world changed on top of it because before I would have been like, they, they totally need a strong foundation in reading, writing, arithmetic. And now, oh man, be, becoming an entrepreneur is so vital, I feel like, if, with the future that we have in front of us. And so I try to just homeschooling, for me at least, has been how can I nurture their personality type in the best way to set them up for, for how they would perceive success, not success monetarily, uh, my daughter's penciling in a, her own book right now, and she talks a lot about that, like success. You know, we're told success is money, but success is actually happiness. And so we, you know, just trying to. So I, my advice is, if you're thinking of homeschooling, you really want to stop and just think, like, how's my kid happy? Where are they? Where do they really thrive? Not instant gratification, like playing video games, but like, where where are they happy? And how can I nurture more of this? Yeah, you know, so this boat trip that I was just on with the kids, I just went on a houseboat. They were uh, ages 20 to 29, and then just on the 17th, my oldest turned 30. But I wanted to get them all together while they were still in their 20s. There's this small window where all four are in their 20s. And there were two things that I brought up. Uh, one is they'll never disappoint me. And, and I really meant that towards, you know, like whoever they date, marry, religion they pick, uh, sexual preferences to the income they make, don't make the type of job they have job they don't have. And the other big thing I really wanted to make sure they understood was the side hustle where if you want to work for someone else, that's great, but at least have one source of income that isn't dependent on someone else deciding one day, I don't like you anymore. You're not going to work here anymore. Or I've messed up and we have to close the business. And it was really hard, like getting those two messages because I think the world is telling them you have to make your parents happy. You have to make them proud of you in a way that you think they need to be proud of you, which could be opposite of what makes you happy. 
and that somehow you have to go work for someone and work the 40 hours for 25 years and retire. And it was weird to kind of have those conversations even again, because I've been having them their whole life, but as adults and really try to drive it in. It's just different. Yeah, that's good. You give me the chills because you're a good dad. We need more of that. That's awesome. Yeah, um, yeah. I always I say think... like, I wish I had like a, a gay Muslim kid because I feel like <laughs> I would be a very loving dad to them. And there are kids that come out as gay or Muslim or whatever it is that they where they want to go and they get disowned by their family, which is amazing and sad to me that that happened. So, and, and I'm getting that vibe from you too, that it's more about the kid's having themselves rather than you try to figure out what's best for the kids, just allowing there to be a course where the kids can figure it out as they become adults. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, maybe this is a too big of a jump, but maybe what we're seeing with all the club sports is really just a reflection of the parents who were missing that in their life. They were, they had that messaging to be successful. You have to make your parents happy and you have to be this you know, you have to have your life look a certain way. And I think with rootless living, we will, we just don't see it quite yet, but I think in the next decade, we will see there's going to be a whole new story, a whole new script. There's this different option that lets us kind of redefine that success and individuality. Right. And even in the beginning, when I asked you, you know, you sometime part-time, full-time, I, I, I actually almost hate that question because it's like putting someone in a box and maybe one of the other boxes are better. And there really isn't. I mean, that's the thing. I, that's why I didn't call it full-time RVing because one, I didn't want it to be, you have to be full-time and two, I didn't want it to, you have to be in an RV. If, if you and I met before you got into an RV and it was just about you guys traveling Europe in a backpack, we'd still be, have you on the podcast. You know what I mean? Like there isn't a way to do it, but it's just not living 365 in a bricks and sticks in the same place you know, going to yeah, work. Totally. Yeah. I catch myself in like, I, I, that's where I go. I'm really, really happy with this lifestyle we choose right now. And I feel like, Oh, but then I'm not living up to my full-time RV living status. And I, and there's like this internal conflict, like it's such a silly label to put on myself. I'm just throwing up like, I'm happy. <laughs> like, and it's, you know, being happy is not necessarily um, a good thing to be today because you know you get a lot of judgment for being a happy person like how dare you be happy do you do you not see the world and like well right. i'm just really happy i don't know what to say yeah and it's like it's almost like it's happiness is turned into selfishness which it's not and it and, and it, it and it is at the same time but it shouldn't be looked at as something negative like if you can really figure out what makes you happy and you know i've read some amazing stories of people that leave wall street and go work at trader joe's you know, and their life is a thousand times happier and easier to manage. And, you know, I, I mean, I know you went through this transition when you're, when you move from a bricks and sticks to an RV, you really do get a, get rid of about 80% of stuff that you thought was important. And it's just not, I want to talk about a little bit of that transition for you. When you got rid of the things, what was that like to you? Yeah. So freeing. Mm. It's, um, in fact, though, one of the things, though, I probably didn't get rid of enough, even though I got rid of a lot, but maybe it's too, you know, we moved into a 30 foot RV and there's seven of us. So you can imagine, like, even if you each keep two pairs of shoes and I, what, five books, it's like there, your RV is really heavy. So part of the, I think this happiness right now is having a home base where when we, if I hop in the RV tonight and say, let's drive to 10 sleep 
there's nothing in that RV. It is so other than climbing bags and a couple of dishes. So just the lightness of what you carry with you is is so freeing, especially because most of us carry so much emotional baggage that we don't really have the strength to carry physical baggage on top of it. And our trip to Europe in 2016, when we really, we just went with backpacks and it, I think that was an eye opener. That was the first time because in the RV, you still have stuff with you. But when you get on a plane with just what you need for six months on your back, it's life changing. And my kids will write about it because they were teenagers then and you know how much they were ostracized and like shunned from their peers because they were happy and they were living this fun, joyous life. And, and they're like, you don't understand. Like we had four outfits for six months, but we were happy, but it's not like there's some sacrifice that goes with it. It's not all easy. You know, it's, it's funny. I've talked about this on the show before and you know, it's right out of high school. I went to go play basketball in Provo and I didn't really have a lot of Mormon friends. And when I would meet these sophomore juniors that were about two years older than me, because they went on a mission, mm-hmm. there's just something different about yeah. them, their life experience and stuff. And that's always stuck with me. I mean, that's, you know, 30 years ago and it's always stuck with me. And to the point where now I've got where I'm, you know, I'm doing this at, I started this trip at 46. I'm now 50. And everything I keep saying to myself is I wish I did this before kids and marriage only because of the life lessons about the things, you know, experiences over things and you just don't need to have all this stuff to feel good about yourself. You don't need to have the three bedroom when one bedroom makes perfect sense kind of stuff to kind of impress people that really aren't all that impressed. You know what I mean? Like it's, that's the, yeah. that's the trap we get in now because. Oh, oh I no, for right, sure right. felt that trap. Yep. Like you're, when you say that, like such a trigger because we, before we lived on the beach, uh, we had a beautiful 3000 square foot home, five bedrooms, three bathrooms, swimming pool. And I remember at that point though, my kids were young. And so it was just more of this feeling. I wasn't actually, I wasn't consciously like taking action on it, but I remember that feeling of like, no matter how you decorate it, you always want something more. No matter how perfect this looks, you're always trying to make it more perfect. And it was almost like a hamster wheel in not so much success or money, but like imperfection. Like there's like, you just never, you felt flawed in all aspects, no matter what you did, you'd just see a flaw. And I would say coming on, being on this side of it, that like you just see beauty in all the flaws now. Right. No. And I, that's, yeah. I love it. Like, I, I don't even want to add to it because it's just that good. Um, let's move real quick to work because I think people would be interested to know what it is you guys were uh, doing for a living that allowed you, one, to kind of travel before the RV and then, you know, make the jump. Yeah, so that, this has been our biggest struggle is that my husband, I should have had him on at the same time, but then you would have needed like three hours for us to both talk. Um, he is just so amazing at a brick and mortar business. He's been a personal training. We opened our uh, personal training and gymnastics facility when I was 20, he was 22. And um, he, he's just such a people person. It has been extremely painful for our relationship, but you know, it's, you, you look back and go, well, I'm, I'm happy for the, for the growth, but it's been really hard because to, for him to go digital, it was only when we got the house in Montana and things had to get so bad in California to force him to truly be digital. So what we did up until uh, last, what, six months ago was he would go to San Diego, uh, like I said, we winter there 
he would make money in his brick and mortar and we would just live really frugally so that we'd save up enough and we'd go go on a trip and I kid you not we zero we would zero out our accounts all the time with that cycle and it was really stressful for him financially just to to have that mental like to know that oh I'm going to save up whatever 20 grand 30 grand and then I'm going to drain it all and then I'm going to hope like pray that that it's going to come in again and I was very much on the mindset of like no no like it will I be, I truly believe you're an amazing person what we do is great it will come in let's just like just embrace this just keep stepping forward and yeah, I mean, if, yeah, if you get him on, he'll say, I'm so glad she pushed me to do this. But in the moments of it, um, I'll tell, uh, if it doesn't go too long, I'll tell a quick story. Um, when we were in Europe in 2016, uh, we were kind of, uh, we we're towards the end, we we're probably four months into the trip. And I'm sitting there in a campground with him going like, you're not doing it. Like you need to do this, this, and this. Like I, I have a little bit more entrepreneurial thinking patterns, but at the same time, he was like, his business model was better. And so I'm like, you got to do this, this, and, and oh, you're not doing like the online's not going to work for you. And so we kind of got in a fight, which was unlike us. We'd been very, like never fought really get in this fight and we don't talk the next day. And we go to watch the world surf league competition and see, you know, John, John and Kelly Slater and, and we're still not talking. And then we go surf, we go paddle out to surf and we go surf on different peaks because we're so mad at each other. And he takes a wave late and his, uh, the board pops up and slices his face open. Like his, he almost lost his eye. And so he's on the beach waving me in and I go in, I'm like, oh, he better be talking to John, John. I can't believe like, why would he make me stop my surf session for this? I was just so upset. And, and then I see his face just gushing blood. And, you know, in a second, you're like, oh, my goodness, I can't believe I was so shallow and <laughs> empathetic. And it just it was it's moments like that, that you push so far that you realize, like, OK, maybe maybe I need to put some things in perspective a little bit more. And it ended up people in France, uh, total strangers took us to the hospital. They became good friends. They came and stayed with us in San Diego after. So things that seem really hard, sometimes our reaction to them, uh, has to happen, but sometimes it's our, sometimes we're just overreacting in things and, you know, the universe does an amazing job of putting us, putting it in perspective. And I don't know. I think that's a, it was, it's an interesting, he, it wasn't until honestly it took him five years. Now he does everything digitally, but it's because of COVID be, that he had to leave California. And then, so his clients just pretty much were forced to go online with him. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like there's a little bit of prep for something that none of us saw coming. And I actually, I mean, I do hope a lot of good comes out of COVID when it comes to remote work and things of that nature. It looks like a lot of these big corporations are learning that their employees are happier and more productive, not having to have that 90-minute commute to sit in a cubicle. Um, I do think there are jobs and things that just they can't last forever remote. I mean, I think personal training, maybe that's something you can do, but there's still that personal touch. I mean, I think obviously restaurants and any kind of retail, there's just certain things you can't do remote. But I think there's plenty of jobs where we can go to remote. But I do feel like, I do hope that in the future, you know, I, I hope kids start to learn the idea of like a 50-50 where, you know, you can work half the year, save up enough money to then travel and have experiences for the other half of the year. 
and not have to work because this lifestyle is great even if you work full time but if you can take six months off and all you're doing is adventuring and you know just going out for the experience it is different i've had plenty of people on the show that that's their thing they have a season of working and then they have a season of traveling and being off grid and not worrying about cell reception or data or internet and they just get out there and i really do hope we start to you know let people learn that but i do believe like your your husband's personality is very similar to mine i was a people person i liked being around people but i didn't necessarily like the schedule of having to be around people kind of a thing and yes yeah, yeah. Oh, for sure then yeah it drains him a lot with the job he does do but uh yeah it, it, it's so complicated and then on top of it my daughters and i run two blogs so while we don't it doesn't pay the bills like his job pays the bills much more ours ends up being like fun money and um money to grow like it started as one blog and then we use it now to have two blogs and it um it's funny, like the other side, yeah, here we, we're like workaholics, but it's not necessarily, it's more for just our passion. So I think, I kind of think that's a good thing. It makes you happier, but again, it's like success. It's, it's not measured in happiness. A lot of times it's measured in paying the bills. And Yeah. And I always say like if, if the best advice for people, like, I don't know what to do is if you could do something for free, what would you do? And you, you your mind will go there and you'll pick it and then say, okay, well then how do you monetize that? And yeah. now you'll find your happiness. And I mean, even, you know, I mean, you, you kind of downplay the blogs a little. Blogs are tough in the beginning, but they can really monetize well. And if it's something you're passionate about, you're not going to give up on it. Because anything, whether it's YouTube blogs, podcasting, I think most people give up around seven. And whether it's seven episodes of a podcast, seven videos, seven blogs, they just expect so much success from the get-go well, you don't understand i've got this niche we're different we do this everyone's gonna come and that's it, just not how it works oh that's you that one's you <laughs> busted <laughs> so I, I i know it's fine i feel like that is you know something that i'm excited to hear from you that it's like hey we're able to do it we're able to do it for fun money and if you do it long enough it'll become something that you can easily monetize that'll definitely you know if not compete with you know at least help pay the bills. And it, it does happen for people. I've seen many people start with just the passion side of it, the fun side of it, and then it slowly goes in. But I think when you go into it for the money side of it is when most things kind of fail in and around this digital space, you know, especially yeah. around blogging and videos and podcasting. There's definitely, yeah, this line between um, where you'd start it with passion and then when you want to you you definitely have to step into it first from passion but then there is this definitely a spot where my daughters and i had to be like okay yes we're passionate about this but we're doing a few things wrong if we wanted to make this our full-time income and only now being in a house and not um, it gives me enough consistency to show up and do it more from business model and that yeah it's i mean it's part of the process part of the growth but it's it's a wonderful thing ask me in a year and i'll be like oh yeah i just needed that year to to, to like get everything organized and be consistent consistency is huge it's really i mean consistency for parenting consistency for creating a blog or a podcast um it was that was the hard part about travel it's like oh well we're doing it but we do it two days out of the week and then the other five we're playing so we're not showing up consistently for for the business and now we're getting better about that yeah no i mean i think the consistency is a really good lesson and i think people like when we 
started RVing, we talked about we would do it for a year. I actually, when I talk to people now, I tell them to put a two year kind of, you know, minimum on it, like at least get through the two years. Cause there's some, you know, so there's some down periods in there and you can't, if you're doing it only for a year, you really have to have a pace that's kind of unmanageable. If you want to do, let's just say the, the lower 48. And then even my business, the magazine, I said to myself, I'm going to do it for two years. I'm going to do 12 issues and then I'll recon and see where it's going. Well, within the first year, I was like, oh, this is, this is going where it's going. I'm fine now, but I'm glad I gave myself that two year kind of like I have to at least do it for two years. And I think in anything that you're creating, blogs, podcasts, any kind of content, just do it for two years. Because the entry isn't as expensive as a brick and mortar. Or when I started a magazine in, I don't know, in the 90s, I did Escape Magazine for California. I think my first issue cost me 25 grand. You know, a digital wow. issue doesn't cost that. You know what I mean? Like it costs a, not even a tenth, like an 80th of that. It's it's ridiculous. And so. And that's what I read um, when, about the same time that we started RV Living and I was loving it. I had read a $100 startup and that's kind of what triggered it because, yeah, like, yeah you can do a lot of things. Um, yeah. For, for that $100. It's um, it also a little bit personality type because it's funny how. I guess you're, you know, that's where the rule of start with where your passion is and then, and then kind of go from there and don't be afraid to ask for help. That would be mine. I was like, I did not ask. I'm like always, I can do it myself. I got this. I got this. And I realized along the way, like it's going to, it takes other people. You've got to ask for help. You've got to put yourself out there. Yeah. It's like, and you can ask for help from people that you think would never help you. Like maybe they're just the, the top tier of whatever your niche is. And you'd be surprised how a lot of times they will respond because everyone gets caught up in that. I mean, I don't know if this is a good example, but you've, you've heard of like these really beautiful celebrities that say they never get asked out because everyone just assumes that they'll get yes. denied or turned yes. down. It's the same thing. <laughs> like true. If, if there's someone in your like super niche that's doing what you're doing and making millions and you just want to reach out to them, there's a good chance they might respond. Maybe not the first one, but there's a, you know, there's enough of the, like the top tier people, whatever your niche is, and you can ask for help and ask questions. They'll definitely come back to you. You know, you brought up the hundred dollar startup and there's a question I sometimes ask. I think it'd be interesting, especially coming from, you know, San Diego and it's going to put you on the spot a little, but we keep it kind of vague and ambiguous. So, you know, people don't know the exact details, but if living in San Diego, you know, with the house on the beach and all that cost you a hundred dollars a month, what do you think this lifestyle cost you now? I, yeah, I love that question because you can help me do the math. So people ask me when we started living, oh, you're, you must be rich. You're so lucky to get to do this and this and that. And I'm like, no, you just are to live in when we lived on the beach to pay for our rent for a brick and mortar business and our, and the house, we had to make $7,000. Mm. And then that was before we fed our, fed our family. And so then like to feed a family as big as ours, we're talking about another 3000. So I was like, okay, I need $10,000 for, for shelter and $10,000. I would be able uh, to travel in the U S six months. I could go abroad for two to three months. Um, so yeah, there no, you go. do the math. It yeah, was, it's a good one. So 10 bucks, yeah. <laughs> 10 to 20. Yeah. Right. And it's funny too, because people will ask, you know, is full-time RV being affordable? And I'm always like, it depends also too where you're coming from, you know? Okay. So the other thing is that, um, 
Instagram might uh, perceive that everyone who lives in a full time in an RV has a beautiful fifth wheel toy hauler that and they tow it with a brand new diesel Dodge Ram. And like, I would love eventually to buy both of those things, but I've been able to do six years on um, our first motorhome cost less than 30,000. Mm. Our fifth wheel costs less than 30,000. Um, it's like, you just have to sac- you, you just have to choose sometimes like what you, do you want the picture perfect Instagram or do you want the experience? And for us, it was, it's always been about the experience. So we've like, you know, haven't spent money on, on those other things that, you know, I've had a lot of RVs too over the years. And it's, it kind of depends on what you want to do. Like our class A was really, it was nice, but it wasn't as functional for, for getting off grid or being like more adventurous. It was harder to get it in national parks. We had a smaller fifth wheel toy box that was great to take to the desert or the beach, but it would never have been comfortable to live in. So you kind of have to know what, you know, what's, what makes you happy? What are you, what are you looking for? Yeah. And it's actually, that's another question. So besides how much does it cost is, you know, should I get a class A or should I get a fifth wheel? And I actually really hate when people answer that, when I see that in Facebook and they're like, oh, you definitely should get a class A. I love my class A. And it's like, how do you answer that without knowing anything about them? I mean, if you asked me and what I've learned about you right now, I would probably lead you towards a, a smaller fifth wheel that had some pretty decent storage for your stuff, but then had room for, you know, all five kids as opposed to a class C or a class A, but a class C might actually be something I would tell you to get because of your quick adventures you like to do too. You know what I mean? It's like, it's not just, oh, you know, it would be like, should I get an apartment or should I get a mansion? Nobody just chimed in and was like, oh, get a mansion. Like, oh my gosh, I love my mansion. But for some reason we as RVers, the experienced RVers that, for whatever reason, they answer that question for people. And it's like, Hey, I need to know more about you. I can't answer what rig would work better for you. And even then, which is funny, you could find families that are identical and one would say a class A is what works for them. And the other would say a fifth wheel. So even with some information, it's still a coin flip sometimes, which is funny. Yeah, it's, it totally, uh, my dream is to have five RVs, honestly, <laughs> but I'm at two right now. And I, I love the fact that depending on what adventure I'm going to go do, it depends on which RV I'm going to take. And there's time, yeah, our class C is so, it slept everybody when they were younger, better in a lot of ways than our fifth wheel does surprisingly. But if I'm going to be like, moving on a road trip where I'm a little ADD and want to be waking up in a new destination every day, then a class C makes way more sense than having to hitch up the fifth wheel. It takes like 30 minutes just to put all the slides in and move all the stuff around. Um, but if I'm going to St. George for a couple of weeks, I'm going to be sitting in the same campground. That's a whole nother one too. It's like, whether you RV, are you the type that wants to boondock? Do you want, um, as adventurous as I seem or like to, I don't really love boondocking. I love campgrounds. I love having a campground where there's like just this feeling of community, like-minded people, um, having, you know, if it has a shower, I don't know. I love state parks. Like to me, it's, I, I would prefer to just bounce around from state park to state park. And um, I'm not one who's like looking for free camping hardly ever, other than if it's a rest area on the way from, here to St. George or something. Yeah, I think um, 
I, I think it's called an omnivert. I hope I'm saying that right. Cause I really, Oh, is there a term for me? Oh, no, wow. no. It, I think more me. Like I get, cause I'm an only child. I really get a lot of energy being by myself, but I also, because I'm an extrovert, I also like being around people, but I do notice myself where like, you know, two weeks at like a crowded campground, I just love then being out boondocking in the middle of nowhere for a week and then going back to a campground for two weeks. And like you said, being around the community, being on the walk around, talk to people. But then I'm like, okay, I, you know, I need a break. Let me go. But my old life, when I, you know, whether I lived in a big city, lived in Los Angeles, there was no week off. You know, I didn't have that ability. And so I think it drained me in a way that I didn't realize that my, I, my personality is right in the middle. I need a little bit of both to kind of survive. Yes. So, and that's, what's great about this lifestyle too. I mean, again, I, I know I've said it on this show, people always, from a marketing standpoint, calling something rootless is really stupid because nobody knew what it meant. But I also didn't want it to be something that really defines someone because even to your point at the beginning, at some point, I want a true hybrid. I would love to have a big piece of land, a very small homestead. I mean, if I build a custom home, if it's more than 600 square feet, I'll be blown away. But then have two types of vehicles, one for longer, like, you know, campground, maybe big boondocking stays, and then a smaller rig where I could really go deep and go far or go into big cities and visit family and friends. That to me seems like such an amazing life. And I'd probably spend about a third of my time back at the homestead and the rest of the time traveling and doing fun stuff. And it's funny that, oh, well, you're not going to be a full-time RVer anymore. Fine. Call me that. I don't care. I don't know anyone that owns a house 365 days a year and travel six months and nobody says they don't own a home. Yeah. You know what I mean? They're still full-time homeowner. Yeah. Yeah. And and, you know, so that's, I mean, I'm pretty much living what you're talking about. And like with the homesteading part, I did think like, Oh, I'm going to love this this," because we're on about 60 acres and we're right next to my uncle who's on another 60 acres. And so we don't have that in that omnivert thing. Like when we come back to Montana, granted there's our, our families with us, but other than the six other people I talked to, we're kind of isolated here. Like we're with COVID at first, I'm like, it was taking a toll on me that I wasn't going out. And then when things were really open here, I'm like, Oh, I didn't realize how much I needed to go down to the brewery and like make jokes with the bartender. And I needed that interaction, even though I spend like most of my day behind a computer by myself. So we have these chickens. I thought, Oh, homesteading, it's going to be so fun. And we started with egg layers and they're kind of high maintenance. Um, like as far as like, you can't just go on a road trip and like leave them there for a couple of weeks. They need to be watched or their eggs have to be. So that was like the first part of me, like hmm, homesteading and being rootless. I think it's an either or it's okay. hard to balance the two. And then we got meat laying chicken or meat eating, you know, chickens that we're going to kill, I guess. And, um, that is so much work. Luckily, my oldest son's taking care of all of it, but we had 30 and like every morning he goes out and there, and one more has paralyzed legs. So I guess a disease mm. came in and it's like, it's such a, it's all, that's exhausting. Like right. one, taking care of them. And two, to me, the emotion of like, oh my gosh, this chicken's hurt. Now I have to take care of it. Like it's, it was, I don't think I'm cut out for uh, homesteading. I think I'm cut out for life on the road more because <laughs> it just takes a toll on me that I was surprised. I thought, oh, it'll be so great. We'll get goats and cows and all these things. So now I guess the next thing is I need to bring somebody on to the ranch to like take care of the animals because it's just not in my personality. Yeah, I think it, with me when I mean homesteading, I think I'm talking about hay 
Like that's what I would like. That would be my ag exempt is just having hay that I do like three times a year. I come back, I do that. I keep the ag exempt. I make a little bit of money, but I always tell like, I want to live next to like a, a cattle ranch and like a horse ranch. And I can tell the grandkids at some point, well, those are grandpa's cattle and those are grandpa's horse on those two properties, but you can't go over and touch them. They don't like to be touched. You know, you can't cross the fences. Like, yeah, they're grandpa's fences, but you can't touch them. So I get all the benefits so, of the livestock, so but funny. yeah, I get all the benefits of the livestock, but I don't have to take care of them, which will be kind of fun. So, okay. I got a good one for you that today. Um, so we have our driveways about a half mile long. And when you, uh, some mornings just for, to get my head cleared, I'll just run to the end of the driveway and back. And I'm not an animal lover, obviously with my chicken story. Well, there's two horses on that are basically on our property along the driveway. And every morning when I run by, they come to the fence so that I can pet them. And my husband's just amazed. He's like, why did these horses love you? Like they won't let me pet them or anything. You're like the horse whisperer. And I'm like, (laughs) I don't know. They just, we have this relationship now and it's, and he's like, Oh, I can see you with horses. I'm like, no, you can't. This is the perfect relationship right here. I run by them. I pet them for five minutes and then they're gone. And then I'm done. That's that's my extent of, of animals. It's the same reason I'm so excited for grandkids. Like where I could, yes. I could help them, I could pet them a little and then I set them home, you know, like they could come stay with grandpa on the ranch for about a week or two. They'll get some stuff they can't get in the city, uh, learn to shoot a gun, learn to ride a horse, maybe, you know, a little ATV, that kind of stuff. And they go home. Now we've touched on this throughout the podcast. And usually this is where like some of my guests kind of fall off, which is kind of weird in the sense that we talk about traveling and we talk about work. And I think in this lifestyle, especially transitioning in the first year, that's the majority of what you're doing. And, but the exploring side of you guys sounds pretty interesting. So, you know, I mean, even if we just talk about this last year and like hobbies and things that you guys like to do, just run me down the gauntlet. I know we talked a little bit about it and you referred to it as, you know, kind of sports, which I love, but just let me know what you and your family are doing when you're not working and traveling. Yoga. So (laughs) one of the big things that we love about this house that we're renting, because I mean, yeah, wake up and like, what are we going to go do a hike or a climb or, or surfing? That's all, that's all good. And when we were in San Diego, my husband's thing was jujitsu and, and we're, he's a personal trainer. So fitness is always like, that's just a given in our day. But when we've got this house, the living room is really, was big enough that all seven of us could do yoga and it faces the mountains. It's this huge window. And so that's like kind of a thing every morning where the kids will be like, Hey mom, what time's yoga today? And then, uh, so I think to me it's normal, but I don't think that's normal for most people that they get together and like, okay, what time are we doing yoga? And then, uh, we, we kind of, probably a year ago, really developed a family meditation practice where like every night, um, about nine, nine 30, it's like, okay, before bed, we all sit down and, and meditate. And so I think, I think that's kind of like what makes us what's different. I mean, the things with, with our adventures is, is different for sure, but we've been doing that for so long. And then, um, food's always been such a big priority for us. I mean, We've always eaten really healthy, but then once you go to Europe, it's like dinner takes on a whole new meaning. And so for our family, because we're so busy during the day, we pretty much intermittent fast, um, not like 
purposely to be lean or anything. It's just the natural ebb and flow of our life. And so uh, we always get together. It's like five o'clock comes around and it's just this huge community feel of like, Hey, what's for dinner? I'll, I'll, I'll cut up the kale. You barbecue the burgers. I'll, I'll do this. And I think that is the biggest thing that, um, that makes us who we are. And the thing that I think we're always trying to share that vibe of like, Hey, come together as a family, you know, practicing mindfulness, connecting with consciousness, good food. You do that. Like the other things just trickle down easily. Right. No, that's, that's really cool. I like it a lot. Now, one of the things I like to do before I let guests go is do what I call the high low. Um, it's funny. I've talked about this in the podcast is something I do with my kids or I did at the dinner table. I had custody of all four of my kids. It would be me and my four kids at the table. It ranges from two to 12 and we did it for years just so they could see kind of that they're all dealing with kind of the same stuff. And so a lot of times, like you brought up earlier, when it comes to Instagram, we can make this lifestyle look amazing. Like it's easy to make it look like there's never anything that goes wrong in this lifestyle. What would be something that's been a low in kind of the lifestyle that maybe you just didn't know was going to be a low? Absolutely. The, the trying to help my husband create this digital business because for even if I made all the money on our blog, he has such an amazing gift to share with the world that I would never want him to give that up. But like trying to figure out if you're not wired to be uh, on a digital platform um, to like understand even like the most basic things of like um, how to make an Instagram post, how to do engage in Facebook groups, how to um, set up a blog and SEO. Like for some people, that's just, that's so easy, but for other people, it's really, really hard. And that has been the, the hard, absolutely the hardest thing that we've had to like navigate our way around because I mean, my husband, and I've been together since I was 17. Like we're really close soulmates it's great but it it puts a totally different stress on your relationship trying to navigate that so that is definitely our like every day wake up and like all right how do we figure this out better and um yeah that that, that's everything else is easy compared to that yeah digital digital stuff for a lot of people is like a foreign language and some people really adapt to a foreign language really easy and you're always like really angry at those people where it's like, you know, they spend two weeks in Mexico and all of a sudden they speak perfect <laughs> Spanish, you know, and you've been studying it for four years and you can barely or order a dinner. And the same thing is for digital. For some people, it just comes so natural and easy and they actually transition to digital because it's just so much easier. And there's people that are just, they're, they're analog and there's nothing wrong with that. Like I, I'm a good hybrid of digital and analog, but I think that's part of being a seventies kid is, you know, I didn't have any of the digital. We had only analog and then digital kind of came on and it became, you know, we were kind of probably some of the early adopters, but I do love people that still really understand how to shake a hand, how to get in someone's face, how to, you know, have a smile on their face the whole time. Because, you know, it's just a different skill set that we're, I feel like we're losing actually now as we moved so digital. So I feel his That was the number one goal when we went to Europe because my kids were pretty shy Mm. that um, I was like, my goal was like, they have to be able to get out of the car, walk in, order food and make eye contact and communicate with people. And we came back from Europe and they could do that. I was so excited. I'm like, people skills are absolutely underrated, undervalued, but they're the most important thing 
that we should be instilling, I think, in our kids, because maybe not the most, because I, I could probably pick a couple others, but they're really important still. Without a doubt, we were just, you know, we don't get to eat in and out very often, but when we were here in Vegas, we were able to go to one, and it was me and three of the kids, and some kid came in for an interview wearing shorts and flip-flops. And I remember just, we, and all my kids are the ones saying something like, you know, he just, oh, I'm here for an interview. And all my kids are like, in shorts and a flip-flop? Like, what, do you have a swim party you have to go to? And I thought that's so funny that someone's not teaching this kid that even when it's hot in Vegas and it's very relaxed, like a job like in and out you still put some pants and shoes on and a collared shirt. You still come in, you know, kind of in whatever your best is, kind of a thing. It was just a weird moment. Yeah. What, what's been a high? What's been a, I can't believe this is our life. Like, take me into one of those moments. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That one's, there's just so many. Um, okay. Last, uh, two, a couple weeks ago. So everybody's adapted pretty well to travel except for my husband and my youngest daughter and they do okay, but they don't thrive in it as much. And my youngest daughter, who's now 12, but she's, that means I'm sorry. She's now 10. She was four ish when we started. So most of her childhood, all she knows is nomadicism. And I thought for sure, she just like love being in the house. She has two trampolines, one indoor, one outdoor. She has a gymnastics room. She has a sewing room. She has so, she has so much stuff, which we don't normally buy stuff, but she's kind of, I, I guess I felt guilty along the way. Like, Oh, I never, she seems like she needs stuff or that's her, her love language is to buy things. And I'm like, I should fulfill this for her more. And after a couple of months, just like, gosh, girl, you don't really seem very happy. And so a couple of weeks ago, she's like, mom, when are we going on our next road trip? And I looked at her and thought, what? You want to go on a road trip? Yes, I miss being in the RV. And to me, that was like such a win because like, oh my goodness, I've converted all of them to think the same way as me and to love life on the road. And I was just, and so yeah, we went on a road trip right after that to Moab, Lander, and um, City of Rocks, and she was just so happy. Uh, it was really nice just to see. She's the one who's been it, more resistant in it as far as like, oh, I don't want to go for a hike today. Why are we climbing again? And she'll still do that a little bit, but it was nice to just see a willingness to uh, get back out and that she realized, I think she's realizing that stuff doesn't make her happy. Mm. Well, that's what I'm talking about. Like, Earlier in the show, I talked about, it. I wish we could do this younger because it really will change. Your kids are just going to be different kids because of this lifestyle. And I know you know that. I know I'm preaching to the choir, but as they become older and hopefully what's going to happen is we're going to see generation after generation doing this more and more and teaching that it's not about the things, which I know is really anti-capitalism and people lose their mind about that. But you can, you can still spend a lot of money and not own a lot of things. It's unbelievable. There's still plenty of money to go around. But it, I just feel like capitalism be might be switching more to a, like a consciousness too. It's like this. Right. I, I was going to record a video about this today because it's like, we think capitalism means has to be acquiring stuff, but I think we're going to be in an age of where we're capitalism represents us um, acquiring knowledge, acquiring information and acquiring ideas. Well, and so, um, yeah, that, you know, I told you my kids are very much, entrepreneurs and I've raised them to, you know, we, so they have nomads with a purpose, that website, uh, with us. And, and really I say us, that's really me and Gabby, my oldest daughter that started that business. And then Isabel, 
who's three years younger than her came on board. And then they just got so into mindfulness and consciousness from our travels that they were talking about that more on the blog than travel. And I'm like, wait, 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 let's just start another website. And so they've kind of taken the reins there. And, you know, it's the part, the hardest part of that aspect is that not everybody wants to hear that right now. They don't like, and to find the audience that does want to hear that takes patience. And like you said, I have to tell them like, give it two years. Like I understand, like you feel like I'm putting out this great content. I'm spreading these great ideas and thoughts and and even skills to that you can do. And they feel like everyone just wants to go buy. They want to buy a supplement. They want to just buy a, a yoga mat. They don't want to listen about like how to be more mindful. Right. And they say, give it two years. And that's, it's, it's easy. It's good advice, but it takes a lot of strength to be that patient. Without a doubt. Now you said the name quick, but this is a great transition to let people know where they can find you. And you can, you can talk about as many of the ways people can find you that you're open to where they can reach out. There's probably a lot of, you know, uh, family members that are having, you know, really concerned about, you know, can we leave our bricks and sticks? Can we do this? Can we travel with this many kids? You know, all this different kind of stuff. I want them to know how to get a hold of you. So definitely, you know, list the, and I'm, I'll write this all down in the show notes, folks. You don't have to kind of write it down right now. You can click on it later, but just let people know where they can find you. Awesome. So you can find us on Instagram at Nomads with a Purpose and on our website at Nomads with a Purpose and on YouTube, Nomads with a Purpose. Uh, I also have a podcast, Defy the Norm, and the new website that I was talking about, makingmindfulnessfun.com, is where Isabel, Gabby, and I talk about ways to understand your Enneagram, ways to practice mindfulness. My daughter, Isabel, who's 17, is a kids mindfulness coach. She she led uh, a class last fall that took kids through 20 lessons of like how to understand their emotions and their thoughts. And, and now she does it with teens. And so that also has a YouTube making mindfulness fun and an Instagram making mindfulness fun. So whether you're looking for adventure travel, if you have questions about homeschooling, getting started about that, um, that's over on nomads with a purpose. Very, very cool. Robin, thank you so much for coming on the show and hanging out, hanging out with me and maybe, uh, down the road, we'll, uh, I'll bring your husband on and do a, a one-on-one with him and we'll compare notes and see yeah. what it's like from his perspective. <laughs> you'll, too. you'll enjoy that. Right. He's, yeah, he's such a great person. So. That's awesome. Thanks again. It was really great being able to chat right. with you and hear your story. Thank you. Well, another great episode. Big thank you to Robin for coming on the show and sharing her story. There's also a great feature in the upcoming issue, or depending on when you're listening to this, the July, August issue of the Rootless Living magazine. Head over to rootlessliving.com download issue number 10 and go ahead and read their feature. If you want more information about today's guests or you want to connect with them, you can click on the links in the show notes below and let them know you heard about them on the Rootless Living podcast. Also, just a friendly reminder, if you're enjoying the Rootless Living podcast or the magazine, make sure to let your friends and family know by sharing us on your favorite social media channel. It doesn't cost you anything. It's a great way of helping us get the word out. So if you're enjoying this, let's let other people enjoy it as well too. And like always, if you think you know someone that would make a good guest, or that guest might even be you, yes, you, I'm talking to you. Yeah, I know you think, not you, but you. Please send us an email at podcast at rootlessliving.com. Again, that's podcast at rootlessliving.com. 
and let's see if we can help tell your story. Until next week, stay ruthless.